Our text this morning is from Joel chapter 2, verses 12 to 19. Joel 2, 12 to 19. And this week we start a new series, our Lenten series, Redemption Road. During these weeks leading up to Easter, we will spend most of our time in the Old Testament looking at what the Lord said to his people through his prophets and how their prophecies point to the cross and the events of Easter. Many of the prophets were alive and prophesying during hard times for the people of Israel. Many of them speak of the coming judgment and the need of the people to repent, to turn from their ways. One of these was the prophet Joel. Now, now Joel is a small book and not given as much attention in the Old Testament. But he was highly regarded in the New Testament. It's one of his prophecies that Peter bases the first sermon given to the Christian church in Acts 2. Paul or Joel is also the prophet that Paul quotes in Romans 10:13, where we read, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, which we find in Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Today, we'll be looking at Joel chapter 2, 12 to 19. In the first chapter of Joel, he is prophesying of a swarm of locusts that will be coming to devour Israel. And scholars are torn between if Joel is referencing a literal swarm of locusts that will devour their crops, or the swarm of Assyrians that eventually comes and overruns Judah. Either way, the meaning is clear. Judgment is coming. Joel calls the people to repentance. He calls them to return to their worship of the true God and King. We enter into this call to repentance at Joel chapter 2, 12 to 19. Let us read the word of the Lord. It even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord. And make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous of his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. That ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. In the movie Dead Man Walking, Sean Penn plays the role of Matthew Ponsolet. He has been convicted of murdering a young teenage couple and sentenced to death. As the date of his execution nears, he asks a nun, Sister Helen, played by Susan Sarandon, 
with whom he has been corresponding to help him with a final appeal at life. She decides to visit him and finds him arrogant, racist, and not even pretending to feel any kind of remorse. He sticks by his claim to innocence, stating, It was a different man who killed the kids. Though Sister Helen is disgusted by Ponsolith, she fundamentally disagrees with the death penalty, and so she tries to have his sentence commuted to life imprisonment instead of death. Her petition is rejected. The application for a pardon is denied. Ponslet will receive the lethal injection. Ponslet asks Sister Helen to be his spiritual advisor through the day of execution, and she agrees. She tells Ponslet that his redemption is only possible if he takes responsibility for what he did. If he owns up to the murders and asks forgiveness of God and the families of the teenage couple. His redemption is possible if he repents. If he repents. In our text this morning, God is using the prophet Joel to call his people back to him. He's calling his people to recognize their disobedience. He's calling his people to repent. He's calling them to repentance. Repentance is the activity of viewing one's actions and feeling contrition or regret for past wrongs. It generally involves a commitment to personal change and resolving to live a more responsible and humane life. So we've got our our five little blessings, and uh, they are blessings, but sometimes they're terrors also, uh, and and particularly to each other. And, And there are... Karen and I have begun to take a, a, a bit of a different approach, a different tact to uh, disciplining, really. And so now, you know, one of them will, will get in trouble and, and I'll be like, okay, here's the deal, man. Like, you know what you did wrong, right? Like, you know why you're in trouble? Can you tell that to me? So then we have them like say, and it's like, okay, so here's the deal. If this behavior continues, this is what your consequence is going to be, whether it's Heading to the bathroom for a not-so-fun experience and talk, or no more screen time for the rest of the week, or whatever it may be. It's, this is what is coming. If you continue to persist in this particular action, just so you know, and I know, this is what's going to happen. Now tell me, do you know what's going to happen? Yes, I'm not going to get my screen for the rest of the week. Okay. So now we're clear. It's been communicated. You're, You're heading down this direction. Stop. If you continue doing what you're doing, this is what's coming. This is what's going to come. This is the punishment. This is the crime. I mean, this is your crime, and this is the punishment for said crime. And in the context of our text this morning, the people of Israel, they've been disobedient. They've been worshiping other gods. They've chosen to ignore the instruction of the one who freed them from Egypt, the one who led them through the desert, who conquered the land that they now live in. They have ignored the one true God. And judgment is coming. But God doesn't want to bring the judgment. He doesn't want to send the locust to destroy the land. He doesn't want the Assyrians to come and decimate 
the people he loves, the people he cares for. He loves them. He doesn't want them to receive the punishment. And it's the same with me and my kids, right? When we're having this discussion, it's here's the deal, man. I don't want to do this. I don't want to take away your screen for the week. I know that brings you joy. I don't want to go to the bathroom and have an unpleasant experience. That isn't fun for me. I don't like this. I have no desire to bring the consequence. But if you continue on this path, this this behavior has to be curbed. This behavior has to be stopped. This cannot continue to happen. And so like a father who doesn't want to have to discipline his children, doesn't want to have to see them suffer more than they already are, more than they already have, he calls his people to repentance. And he is still calling his children to repentance. He's still calling his children to repentance. A plague of locusts may not be on the horizon. The Assyrians may not be charging our gates. We may not have murdered a teenage couple. But who of us is innocent of sin? Who among us is perfect? How, yeah, who among us has never felt jealousy? Who among us has never looked with lust? Who among us has never taken something that didn't belong to us? Who among us has never told a lie? Who among us has never passed along a juicy piece of gossip? If you are perfect, then there is no need to repent. If you are perfect. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with keeping God's laws and commands perfectly? If we're honest with ourselves, and we need to be, then we know that we have failed. We know that we continue to fail to keep God's laws and commands perfectly. And so we also are called to repentance, to admit and take ownership of our sin and to ask, our loving God, for forgiveness. Does it stop there? Is that what repentance looks like? In the ancient Hebrew, the word repent is shuv. It is the same word for turn around. In essence, it means stop going the direction that you are currently headed, do a 180, and head back. Or change your course. Change your course. Repentance discourages the abuse of grace. Repentance discourages the abuse of grace. You see, we love grace. Sinners love grace. Understandably. We love the concept of a God who loves and forgives his people all the wrong that they do. And yeah, that is amazingly awesome. And it's totally true. But because it's amazingly awesome and totally true, we have a penchant in our sinfulness for pushing boundaries and saying, hey, if God is going to forgive me, then it's okay for me to do whatever I want because he loves me and he'll forgive me. 
This mindset is an abuse of grace. And Paul talks about it in Romans 6, 1-2, where the apostle writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? God has been calling his people to repentance for thousands of years, as we see in our text this morning. And repentance affirms what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans 6. Repentance calls for a change of course. It calls for us to change course. Grace isn't meant to be abused. Grace is not a license to keep on sinning. Repentance calls on us to recognize this and to change our course, to realize that what we're doing is wrong and sinful and hurtful to our God. Repentance calls us to return to Him, to turn away from the bad and return to Him, to turn around, to shuv, to repent. We see this further emphasized as we dig a bit deeper into our text this morning. Joel 2, 12-13 reads, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. For the ancient Jewish people, it was customary to to tear your clothes as a visible sign of deep emotion. Whether it be anger, grief, contrition, or any other intense, overwhelming emotion, the rending of your clothes is an outward sign of your inward feelings. We see this with Jacob when he finds out about Joseph. You know, Jacob's the guy, he had 12 sons, he has all these kids, and and uh, he, had a, he had two wives. This is a good example of reasons not to have two wives because he had a favorite. And his favorite wasn't the one that kept having kids. He kept his, his, his unfavorite, poor Leah, uh, she kept having kids. And, and that's just how that went. So they had all these kids. And then finally Rachel gives Jacob a kid. And it's Joseph. And Jacob is like, yes, like Joseph's my boy. I'm going to spoil this dude. So hooks him up with this really nice coat. And the rest of the brothers, this is kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. There's a few things. He gets this really nice coat. And and Joseph's also telling his brothers about all these dreams where they're like bowing down before him. And they're like, oh, great. You know, like we're going to have to do this. Just we're done with you. So they take Joseph and they decide they're going to kill him. But then some of the brothers are like, no, we, we just grew a conscience. This isn't a good idea. Let's just sell him into slavery instead. We'll just get rid of him. We don't have to be the ones that kill him. Slavery can kill him. Then we don't have to like have that guilt on us. We'll just make a couple bucks on the side. Get rid of this annoying pest of a brother in his stinking wonderful coat. And then we'll be good. And so they take the coat from him. They kill a, a goat. They put the blood on it. They bring it back to their dad. And they're like, dad, we're so sorry. Joseph is dead. And Jacob breaks. Jacob breaks. Genesis 37, verse 34, we read, Then Jacob tore his clothes. He had his nice clothes on. He rips his clothes and he put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. Deep emotions. Ripping of clothes. But many customs can become purely habits that are done without any serious thought. 
This is a custom, the ripping of clothes for deep emotion, but, but it can become customary. And when they are not genuine expressions of our inner feelings, they can become just a show we put on for others to see. In Joel 2, 12 to 17, the Lord calls upon his people to genuinely repent over their sin. Don't just make it a show. Don't just make it something done so that others can see that you feel sorry. He doesn't simply want to see an outward display of of tearing clothes, but a genuine sorrow over their sin. This is why in verse 13 he says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Tear your heart, not your garments. He's not forbidding them to tear their clothes, and he's not asking them to like rip up their physical hearts. What he really wants is deep, heartfelt sorrow over sin. What he really wants is for them to turn from their sin, to wrench their hearts away from their love of their sin. What he really wants is for them to repent. For us to repent. And God's call to repentance is urgent. It's urgent. He isn't calling us to sit on our hands. Joel 2.16 says, Gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the repentance start now. There's no time to waste. Bring the baby nursing at their mother's breast and the bride and groom from the honeymoon suite. There's no excuse for delay. No life event is too big or important that repentance is something we're allowed to or invited to put off. It's urgent. It's urgent. And it's continual. It's something that has to happen again and again because we don't have the ability to maintain our new direction. We don't have the ability to reverse course permanently. We are continually putting ourselves in a position where we need to repent. What a blessing to worship a God of infinite love. He knows us. He understands us. And so where we are unable to be perfect, he has sent perfection for us. Our God has taken pity on us. In Joel 2, 18 to 19, we read about how he took pity on the people of Israel. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. How wonderful for them to hear this. A plague of locusts has been, has been prophesied. All their crops, all these things wiped out. But he says, I will send you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. I am sending you the things that you need. You will not be an embarrassment among the nations. I will meet your needs. Despite your sin, despite your disobedience, despite the insults that you have heaped upon my head as you worship all these man-made idols, I will meet your needs. 
God promised to meet the needs of his people back then. And today, we live in that promise. God has met our need. God has met our need. He sent us Jesus. He sent us a pure, spotless lamb. He sent us the one that never needed to repent, never needed to reverse course. For his path was always straight and true. He lived the perfect life for us in our place. And in our place, he took the punishment that, we, that he did not deserve. He took the pain and the death that we deserved. The humiliation and shame that we had earned. He took all of that on himself when he died on the cross. And he defeated all of it when he rose from the grave. He defeated it so that it would no longer be the determining factor of where we spend eternity. Faith has become the determining factor. Do we believe that we needed Jesus to come and to do all that he did? Do we believe that he did it? If you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then through faith you have been reconciled to the Father. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then He has become your hope. You have put Him on so that when God looks at you, He sees not the works that you have done, but He sees the works of Jesus. God has met our need. As we look at the prophets of old, as we see the sin and the failings of the people they were sent to prophesy to, we see ourselves, not as the prophets, but as the needy, broken masses. And as we walk Redemption Road, heeding the prophets, recognizing our need to repent of our sins, repent of our wrongs, and looking to the cross, which is the only place we can find redemption it can seem hopeless. How could God forgive a people that have wronged him so badly as the people of Israel wronged him? How could God forgive someone who knows what they should be doing and has done the opposite as I have? On the morning of his execution, Matthew Ponsolet finally, tearfully admitted to Sister Helen what he did to that young teenage couple. He confessed. He repented. He asked forgiveness of God and of, their par- of his parents, or of the parents of the kids. And then he was executed by lethal injection and given a proper burial. The parents struggled to forgive him, but God didn't. Despite the horrible things that Ponslet had done, he could be confident in the forgiveness happily granted him by our Father. And the same God that is willing to forgive the murderer of teenage children is giddy at the thought of forgiving the rest of us. The depth of the crime does not matter. 
And though there will be repercussions here on earth, Ponsod still paid a price for his sins. He died forgiven. God longs to relent from handing down the punishment that we so fully deserve. He longs for us to believe in his son. He longs for us to listen and obey his instructions. He longs for us to recognize our failings and repent when we fall short. As you leave here today and go back to your homes, your week, your jobs, know that God loves you. Know that he has forgiven you. Rest in that. Rest in that. Rest in the cross. Rest in the road of redemption that Jesus walked on our behalf. That we might be reconciled to God. That we might have a relationship with the Father. What a loving and amazing God we serve.